You know, I, I love what Pete was sharing this morning. And uh, it is a story of Jehoshaphat, the King Jehoshaphat. And I'll just kind of dip into that a little bit here. What I appreciate about this story in the context of, of Pete sharing it this morning is if you'll recall, and this is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Go back there and read that, that whole chapter because it is a phenomenal story. I've shared it at least two times here with us over the past several years, but it really does show that worship is warfare. And if you'll recall, um, Israel was, was under attack by, by two outside armies, and they recognized they were outgunned, they were outmanned, it wasn't going to work out for them. And so they, they stopped, Jehoshaphat paused, and consulted the Lord. Does it sound familiar? He stopped and said, Lord, what are you saying? And they're given prophetic insight, they're given prophetic instruction, and he followed it. And truly, they did have the worshipers going out before them. And here's what they said, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And remember when we, we've spoken about this in the past and, and part of the emphasis in the message was that this is a theme, this is a, a spoken theme that comes up in God's people over history. And so they are resonating with God's identity, they are resonating with his character and once again proclaiming again, like Pete was saying this morning, it is his love, his love endures forever. And what you discover is that those armies were laid waste. And they spent a lot of time picking up the spoils from what they had not actually fought with their hands to win. That was not the purpose of my message this morning. But I think the context is, is important for us as we're, as we're looking at what God's bringing about in, in our time of worship. So thank you, Pete, for, uh, for bringing that forward today. And I'm going to get back into my notes here. If it'll let me. Okay. <clears throat> if you will, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. It's a good tune. Matthew chapter 14. A while back, I used to have a a time that we would call story time. Do you remember this, this series of sermons? Story time was a lot of fun. Because story time, we would go into sermons or, or messages um, and stories from the Bible that were familiar to almost all of us who've spent any time in Sunday school. Um, and recognizing, though, that we, we probably don't know as much about that story as we think we know. Uh, when we start to really poke and prod our understanding of a lot of the stories through the Bible that are that are familiar to us, we recognize a lot of times that we we only go about surface deep on that. Like, wait a second, where does that fall into the the history of things? What was going on there? Um, that that doesn't look the same in in the cartoon version in my mind of what I'm seeing. Uh, there's a whole lot more in Scripture here. So we would take time going through stories that were um, were familiar to us, but there was a lot more depth to them. Um, because God wants us to be able to engage, engage his word at different levels. Some of us are ready for the milk. Others of us are ready for the strong meat. But all of us should be able to feed. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Today we're going to do a little bit of story time, and it is actually in really great context to where we're at right now. And of course, we always want to take the scripture and look at it and ask the Lord, Lord, open this up to me. Help me understand what it is that you're saying here. Help me understand and unfold your word to me. Teach me, not just so that I can understand what was taking place there, but what is relevant from your word to me right now. So I want us to be hearing today from that place of, okay, Lord, what is it that you were doing there? But how is it applicable to my life right now? And for us as a people, it's not just an individual level, it's a corporate level too. Lord, how is this applicable to us right now in this moment? So, if you go into Matthew chapter 14, we're going to talk about the story of Jesus walking on the water. This story is, um, first of all, this is real. I think we should just say that right up front. When we approach the Bible, everything that's in here is real. Everything that's in here is true. We're not telling fairy tales here, and we're not telling children's stories and things that help us go to sleep. This is, this is real. This is God's word, and he intends for us to suck the marrow out of this thing and keep on feeding. Because the Bible is his word, and it addresses every single situation that we come across in our lives. I don't care what situation you're in. It all can be addressed and is addressed by this right here. So, feed in it. Spend your time in it. Dwell in it. Resonate in it. Ask the Lord to keep opening it to you. You will spend your entire life consuming this word and never get to the end of it. Even if you've read it cover to cover a hundred times, you'll never get to the end of this thing. It is a living word. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. So, Jesus walking on the water. I love this story for a lot of different reasons. It's such an impossible situation. We, ref- we reference it. Culture references it, right? When somebody is really great at something, we say they do what? They walk on water, right? So we have a cultural reference now that goes back to a biblical reference, but our culture has lost a lot of the underpinnings of understanding what was taking place there. But we talk about it quite frequently. And the culture almost addresses it like, Jesus went for a stroll out on the water, or he was so great and so powerful that he could walk on water, or You don't quite have it because you don't walk on water like he did, but it's devoid from the context of the whole situation that was going on there. So let's talk about this a little bit. What had happened recently, just prior to this situation? If you go back just a few verses, you find out that that he has just fed the 5,000, right? We like to talk about that one. But if you go just earlier than that, You find, I believe, in the the three gospel accounts that talk about this this situation, you find that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. That's his cousin. Who watches The Chosen in here? Anybody? Yes! Chosen fans. Chosen season two has been a lot of fun. I've been enjoying that. And one scene that I really enjoyed it, which is not a biblical scene, is when Jesus and John the Baptist have a good cousin chat on the side of a, of a pond together. It's just great. It's not in the Bible. 
It's not in the Bible. So there's no Bible for it in there. But what I love about it is it shows the possibility of the type of relationship two cousins had where they recognized God had called them to an appointed time. And their love for one another and their commitment to one another was real, but their commitment to what God was do, doing was, was even higher. And they recognized that they had something that they were to play out, and they played two different roles. They were not the same man, although people confused them. They were not the same man. And I just love the, the relationship that they have there. And when Jesus, he hears that John the Baptist is beheaded, that's a, that's a tough blow for him. Remember, he's not a robot. He's not a distant God. He is the God-man. He had real relationships with his cousin and people that were around him. And so discovering and having the, receiving the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded hit him hard. He knew it was going to happen, folks. But still walking through the, rea- the reality of it is a different thing. And so we find Jesus... Trying to get away, as he often did was his pattern, he would get away by himself to spend time with his father. And so in his getting away, the people followed him there and he ends up feeding the 5,000. But afterwards, again, he hadn't, you get the sense he hadn't quite had enough time. And so he sends his disciples on ahead, go to the other side of the lake, right? I'm, I'm going to meet you there, but just go ahead of me. And so they go. And then he goes and he, he goes up to the mountainside again and he starts spending time with, the, with his father. So that's the moments kind of preceding this. Major, major news for him. Major outpouring of the Spirit by the miracle feeding the 5,000. And he sends his disciples on to the other side. So he gives them a direction. Go over there, I'll meet you there. So there's purpose over there, right? He didn't just... Shoe off goes, you know, guys, we're going over there. I'll meet you there. Just go on ahead. I'll meet up with you. Now, only one of these accounts talks about what happened with Peter, and that's the one we're going to focus on today. Jesus is on the mountainside. He's just fed the 5,000. He's just sent his disciples away. So we get the idea that this is probably in the evening somewhere, Right? It says immediately, he sends them away. And then he shoots the people away, says, you know, what he says to, to let them pass on. But then we discover that in the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between three and six o'clock in the morning, the next day, his disciples are still out on the water. Did we ever realize that? It's not like they just got out in a storm and he saw them and came out to them. He had fed the 5,000. He shooed them away. He went to spend time. He sent his, his disciples out that evening. And still, the next day, before the sun has risen, they are still out on the water. They've, it says in, uh, I think it's Mark, it says that they've only gone like three and a half to four miles. Or they're somewhere out in, in the middle of the, of the water. Or they've gone a far distance from shore, but they are not there yet. They should have made it by now. But they haven't. They've been caught in a storm. And it says that, um, that the winds and the waves were against them. So let's, let's just read this passage here in Matthew 14. 
So we can go through this, and then we'll go back and spend some time dissecting it. So we've got context for this, but let's go read what these words say. Because we want to say, what does the record of the Bible actually say? And I encourage you to also read in Mark and John. Both of those are within the six chapters of each of those books. That's where you'll find the story. So, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the Bible, <laughs> Bible, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Take note of the word wind. Highlight that, underline it, because it's an important word. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. Also an important point. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage! Exclamation point. Take courage! It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, again, underscore, highlight that word, wind. He was afraid and and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Highlight, underscore, wind. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's one account of this story. You'll also find it in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6. I'll make some references to that as we go through here today, but I'm not going to read each account. I, I do encourage you, though, spend some time this week Get some bookmarks in there and flip-flop back and forth and see how they compare to each other because there's interesting details that come out in each one. But there's some important things that I'd like to highlight in this story. First of all, Jesus calls us into impossible things. The entire nature of what Jesus does is impossible. His life, his ministry, who he was, what he represented, represents a kingdom that is so outside of this kingdom that it seems like impossibility because it is impossible apart from him. But he likes to call us into impossible things. God's been calling his people into impossibilities for a long time. Remember when the people of Israel came up against the Red Sea and they had the army behind them? Chasing them. And Jesus, Jesus, God basically says to Moses, extend your rod and here it comes. And he parts the waters and they walk through the water. That's impossible. We just spoke recently about when they're coming into the promised land and they carry the Ark of the Covenant and the priests are ordered 
by Joshua, who's been told this is what's supposed to happen, to step out into the Jordan. And as soon as they step into the Jordan, the whole river starts piling up. It's at flood stage. That means it's not just trickling by, folks. It is raging through there. And as they step, the reality of heaven superimposes the reality of earth. And all of a sudden, that water can't pass through there any longer. Jesus represents an economy and a reality that is superior to our own. We think because we can't see it, it's inferior, or it's lesser than, or it's a mist, or it's something that can't be, can't be touched, can't be experienced. But you live in the natural. There's a reason why it's called supernatural. You are in the shadow. Heaven is more real. Come on, this is fun stuff, right? Whew. So Jesus likes to call us into impossible things. He has a habit of it, and he's waiting for us to engage with him. Man, we sang a song today that references Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, here's Isaiah seeing the train of his robe filling the temple. He sees the holiness of God and he realizes he is so holy and I'm an unclean man with unclean lips from a people with unclean lips. And God comes and touches his lips with a coal. And then there's the question, who can we send? And he says, here I am, send me. I'll be the one to go. He wasn't given an easy message. We've not been given an easy message. The gospel offends. Jesus loves to call us into impossible things. So here we have Peter being called into the impossible. God doesn't just call us into the impossible so that we can experience the impossible. He actually calls us to live in the impossible, to inhabit the impossible, and to operate from the impossible. All right, Pops, I'll say it again. He doesn't just call us into the impossible. He calls us to inhabit the impossible and to operate from the impossible. He's, he wants us to live there. He wants that to be home for us. We, we, we currently reside in two kingdoms. Heavenly kingdom and an earthly kingdom. But where is your home? Heaven. You're not an ambassador of earth to heaven. You're an ambassador of heaven to earth. So that means you're supposed to operate from that reality into this reality. Who's there? Yes, that's true. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost is there. But who's there right now? Who's achieved that? Who's attained that at 100%? Jesus has. And he keeps beckoning us into more. He doesn't beat us over the head with where we're at and what we've messed up with or what we haven't held, which we'll see here in this, in this story. 
But he always beckons us into more. He's always waiting for us to ask for more. And he's always kind enough to only give us what we can then go and enter into. Man, he's good. This is an important story for us right now. You probably understand why. We'll talk about that more specifically later here. Okay. So this story has a natural, supernatural experience that takes place there, but there's also some underlying stuff here. So we'll talk about some of the natural things first, and then we'll talk about some of the deeper things, if you can hear them. Okay? So we see here that there was, there was wind that came up that opposed the movement of this ship, this boat, and they struggle out there on the oars under their own strength for a good while. They're getting wasted out there by the storm. And the waves are buffeting the boat. And these guys, many of them, have made their living out there on the boat on this lake specifically. And so they faced some storms before, but here they are. They're in the middle of the night. They've been working at this for a good long while. Jesus decides to go out and come up with them. And it says that shortly before dawn, so it's dark, right? It's dark. It's windy. They're terrified. Jesus shows up, and they think he's a ghost, and they are they're overcome with fear. Now, this is an important thing for us, and I don't think we all have the context for this. So, from a cultural perspective, if you are, there's an understanding, there's a superstition that if you see a ghost or a spirit at night, that means that there's going to be impending doom for you. So here these guys have been sent out by Jesus. They're out on the water. This is unlike what they've faced before. They're working at it. Nothing's working that they've tried. And now a ghost shows up. What's that mean in their culture? This is the end. See you in paradise, fellas. Here we go. <laughs> so they, they see Jesus and they're terrified and say, it's a ghost, right? And then... He calls out to them and says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Look at Peter's response. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, when I think about this, and I think about Jesus walking on the water, I think my cultural response is, Jesus took a stroll out on the water one day to show that he was powerful and had authority over nature. But I don't often think about the context that it took place in, right? It's the fact that he took, that he stepped out on the water. But he meets them on the water in the midst of a storm. And he's, he's not, these aren't like calm seas, like, well, maybe there's something under the water, and Jesus was just walking out. No, he's out in the middle of the lake, There's a storm there. There's waves going. There's wind whipping up. And he's out there walking on the water. And Peter, Peter coming out to him isn't something that was initiated by Jesus. Think about that for a second. Have you ever considered that point? Jesus didn't go out to the boat for the purpose of inviting Peter out onto the water. At least that's not how it's stated here. I'm guessing he knew that that was going to happen. But he went out there to meet with them. 
And Peter's response to him saying, take courage, don't have fear, it is me, is, Lord, if it's you, then call me out to the water. And Jesus' response is, all right, then come on out. Try out the water. Come on out here with me. I love that. Because there's an aspect of our journey with the Lord that is participatory. With us saying, God, I'm willing to go at risk with you. It's like Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. Here's Peter saying, all right, Lord, then if it's you, call me out to you. All right, come on out. And he calls him out to it. What's interesting here, though, too, is is Peter's language gives us a foreshadowing of what's about to happen to Peter. Lord, if it's you, then call me out to you on the water. There's doubt there. There's hesitancy. There's a, a reservation in that. He's testing the waters with the one he's speaking to. If it's you, then call me out. All right, I'm willing to come. And he takes courage in stepping out of the boat onto the water. Now, here's something I love about Peter. Peter is a, is a shoot first, ask questions later type of guy, right? And he does this. This is, this is stereotypical Peter. I'm ready to go. I'm all in. Never mind. I'm not sure I want to do this. Lord, I'll never deny you. You're going to deny me three times tonight, right? Peter's all the way in. You can't wash my feet. I'll never let you do that. No, you must be washed. Then wash all of me, Lord. No, I just need to wash your feet, Peter. Calm down. So this is, this is Peter. Peter also is prideful. So there's a lesson in here for him personally in him failing in this situation. But Peter is ready to go. And I think it's great that when God's, when God, Jesus, right here, says, take courage, remember, he is the word of God. So when Jesus says, take courage, he's, it's not a gentle suggestion or a nice, like, hey, here's how you're going to get through this. Just take courage. Don't be afraid. This is, this is the word where all things that were created came through him, saying to his disciples, take courage. There's creative action in him speaking. There's authority in his word. So when he says, take courage, what's Peter's immediate response? Lord, if it's you, I'm ready to come out and meet you there. We just sang today, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to be close to you. I want to be near to you. I don't think Peter was in this for the miracle. I think Peter was in this to be close to his Lord because he had already experienced the things that Jesus does, he's teaching me to do. The things that he does, he's been inviting me into and has been giving me the ability to join with him there. So he sees Jesus on the water, they're in the midst of terror, and Jesus says, come on out here. And he says, I want to be with you. And so he takes those steps out on the water with his Lord in focus. And he starts making his way to him. We don't know how how far off it was, but he starts making his way to him. And when he does, he starts to see something else. I always thought that he sees the wind and the waves, or he sees the waves crashing 
and gets overcome by that. But that's not what it says. It actually says that he saw the wind. When he saw the, he saw the wind? What does that even mean? He saw the wind and he starts to sink. So we know he took his focus off of Jesus and he drifted into something else, had doubt, fear, hesitancy, and he sinks. And what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. And because the scripture is so self-consistent, all who cry out to the Lord will be saved. And what happens? Jesus is right there, grabs hold of him, and rescues him. But he always rescues before he rebukes, right? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? Why did you waver? You can look at a couple of different definitions of what, what is said there. They get into the boat, immediately the wind stops. In some accounts it says immediately they're at the other shore. This whole thing's a setup. And I just love it. Now, Jesus' disciples were struggling in their own strength in the things that they knew how to do to get to the other side, to meet up with his direction for them. But it wasn't getting them there. He went out there to meet them, and he demonstrates his superiority over nature, his authority over it all, also his ability to, to welcome them into the impossible reality that he represents. Peter fails in this situation because he got scared by the wind. And through it all, they get to the other side and there's incredible ministry in there. So there's, there's a message for all of us in that at the surface level. So let's go a little bit deeper. Remember, I had you highlight, underline, mark up that word wind there. There's a lot of words that show up in this story that have double meanings to them where it can just be wind, but it's also more than wind. And recognize these are his disciples, Jesus' disciples. The word wind there is, actually the word, um, the word against them, the, the, the opposed. It says there's a wind that opposed them. Um, that word there recognizes that there's, there's something that is set against, that it's adverse to. It's in direct opposition. And the word wind there is animos, which in the natural means the wind, but there's also a figurative usage of this word that means as applied to empty doctrines. So Christ sends his disciples to a location and says, go there, and they get opposed by empty doctrines. And they struggle beating themselves against these oars in their own strength against the effects of the empty doctrines. Remember, it says the waves buffeted them, buffeted the, their, their vessel. And they're struggling against that in their own strength, well beyond the time it would have taken them to get to the other side. But when Jesus comes out to meet them, he speaks courage to them. It's interesting that they are afraid of him when they see him. Because what they're doing is they're looking out of their own, their own cultural context at that point in time. And Jesus only fits into a certain mold in that, in that situation. We're sunk. 
We don't recognize him. We don't know who that is. But it's the Lord of the universe. It's the one they've been traveling with. They've been eating and drinking and sleeping and, and doing his work, and they don't recognize him from afar off because they're, they're still ruled by their cultural paradigms of what's taking place. But Jesus speaks courage to them and tells them not to fear. They hear his voice, and Peter recognizes him. But there's still that, I'm not sure, Lord, if it's you. He takes courage. He steps down out of the boat. But what is it that he is afraid of when he's on the water? What did he see? The wind. Now, if we're looking at this at at that deeper level, because there is a deeper message for us as the church at this to look at. He sees what is, is arrayed against him. Empty doctrines, if you will, that have been opposing them. And he comes to fear, recognizing he doesn't have it to, to actually stand up against those things. And he begins to sink. But Jesus rescues him. What happens when Jesus shows up back in their vessel, when his presence is with all of them? The wind goes away. The wind is overcome by his presence. Everything must submit to the authority of Christ. In his presence, that whole thing went away. It required courage for Peter to ask and respond in faith to the Lord. But it also required that he keep his focus on the Lord and not waver when he was inhabiting that place that the Lord was at that welcomed him into it. He needed to stay focused. He needed to stay laser-focused on the Lord. But he saw his vision get drawn to one side and the other, and he saw what was opposing them, and that brought fear, and he sank. Peter was a fisherman. He had spent his entire life out on the water. He is in his element in that place. This is not his first rodeo. But he's facing something that he's never seen before. And he encounters his Lord there. And God calls him to a higher experience in a context that's very familiar. He does this to us in our own lives. He calls us to a higher experience in something we're very familiar with. And it requires courage for us to step out of the boat into that place with him. Being out on the water wasn't a big deal to Peter. I'm sure he jumped out of a boat before a couple of times. But walking on the water? And remember, Peter was not called to walk out onto the kiddie pool water. There's wind. There's waves. This is, step out on the water, Peter, and the boat's doing this type of thing. Right? This isn't an easy thing to get out on into it. But he's willing to go. He's willing to try. And he does. And he is walking on water towards the Lord. Listen, when we follow Jesus, we get to do impossible things. 
we don't go do impossible things to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, he brings us into impossible things. Like I said before, I don't think Peter was out there to go get another miracle on his notch, notch on his belt, right? Lord, if it's you, call me out to you. I want to be with you. I want to be there with you. And as he goes, he's doing a miraculous activity. He's participating in the grace of his Lord. Those same things are available to us. That's, that same ability to be called into impossible things is, is the, the history of the church over millennia. God's always welcoming his people into impossible things. And it's not for us to wrestle in our own strength in these things. That didn't get them anywhere. And it's not for us to stay within our same mindsets that we've been locked in our entire life. Remember, he's been, a, he's been a fisherman inside the boat his entire life, but the Lord called him at his request out of that. Called him out of the fear that was, was motivated and molded by his cultural context. It said, you can't be afraid of that. That's not, that's not something that you can trust. But it's the voice of the Lord that says from the midst of that, have courage. It is I do not fear. This is just kind of a humorous aside. When you get into John chapter 21, Jesus is resurrected, right? Peter's about to get reinstated by the Lord. And part of the process that he goes through is it's, well, I'm going to go out and fish, right? Goes out to fish, and they're right back at the beginning again, right? It's the same, it's the same type of miracle. They go all night, no fish. And the end of man from shore says, why don't you just let your nets down over there? And they do, and they pull up, and they have a miraculous catch of fish again. Starting to feel kind of familiar here. And John, the perceptive one, says, it's the Lord. I love this. John chapter 21, verse 7 through 8. And the disciple of Jesus loved said to Peter, I love how John always puts that in. And then the disciple who Jesus loved, that's me. It's the Lord. As soon as Peter, Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. I just think this is humorous. And maybe I don't understand everything about this, but I have a humorous take on this. Here's Peter, again, always willing to leap before he looks, right? He hears it's the Lord, and his immediate response is to follow and to pursue him. We have another account of him leaving a vessel to follow Jesus across the water. The first time he walked on the water, and I think he's probably remembering that because he actually gets his outer garments to put back on him. Whenever I get into the water, I'm taking things off to swim faster. So I think he may have had an expectation that he may have been able to run to Jesus across the water. (laughs) Didn't work out, but that's okay. Because we know he's 100 yards away from him. I don't know. We'll ask him someday. But, But he puts on his outer garments and jumps in. 
to go follow Jesus. So, let's get back to some of the context here. Did you learn a few more things about this story that you hadn't seen before, hadn't heard before? God is he's calling us to a deeper reality with him. Peter failed in this situation. But did he really fail? You can't fail when the Lord is so close to grab you by the hand when you slide under. God was calling him into a a new reality, a new level of expectancy of what was possible by following what the Lord was doing. Because we see this same man, years later, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, which again was well outside cultural norms, but he heard the voice. God showed it to him, this picture, three times, right? You really got to get this, Peter. And he takes that and follows him. And when he's there, all sorts of things take place. We're all here today because Peter was obedient in that moment. But he'd learned obedience and he'd learned to go at risk with the Lord in ways he had never understood and didn't understand how it was supposed to work out and didn't even understand what was going on well before that when he decided to take courage and step out of the boat and follow Jesus into an impossible thing. So why us? Why now? Why are we talking about this? If you've been with us, over the past three or four weeks, you know that we're, we're in a scenario right now where we've paused and we said, Lord, what is it you want to do here with us as a people as you take us into a new season? We have an expectancy for your spirit to come and lead us and guide us. And we want to just wait on you right now and hear what you're saying. Because we know there's a new season coming. There's new ground to be taken. We've been in a boat And I believe the Lord's going to ask us to step out of that boat. Because I think that boat represents the limits of what we've experienced before in our lives. But he's going to ask us to step out of that boat, which means leaving behind some things that we've been comfortable with, some security that we've had in there. We know how this is supposed to go. And he may be calling us into something that seems foreign and fearful to us as a people. But it's still him. But he's always willing to offend our minds to bring us into a new experience with him. God may have been calling you personally into something deeper and something greater. Or you may have had that sense where he's just saying, Here I am. And your response over this time as we've been in fasting and prayer and, and in worship before him and waiting on him has been, Lord, I want to come close to you. I want to, I want to hear your voice. Where is it that you want to take me? What is it that you want to do? Here I am, Lord. Send me out. I'm ready to sign the contract. You fill in the rest. I'm ready to go into whatever it is that you have. That's the Peter moment in the boat. Do we have the courage to step down and follow him there? And do we have the faith to keep our eyes focused on him? 
That's a very intimate place that he's calling us into. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of everything we hear coming at us, empty ideologies, bad doctrines, all of that. We can get focused on that. We can get overwhelmed by, oh my goodness, there's so much stuff that's coming at us right now. Jesus, I'm focused on you. What's the next step on the water? Next step on the water. Next step of faith in you. Still focused on you. Not looking at the wind. Not focusing on the waves that are around me. Not worried about those that are left in the boat behind me. I'm focused on you and what you're calling me to. That's where we're at as a people. Going at risk with God. Do we have the courage to go there with him? It applies to us corporately. But applies to each of us individually as well. Not everybody's going to step out of the boat. There was only one that stepped out of the boat, by the way. And as I look at the record, there's still a promise for all of them. And he still used all of them. What is it that he's calling you to right now? What are the things that he's whispering to your spirit right now? What's the cry of your heart to him right now that says, Lord, if it's you, then just ask me to, and I'll come. That, that's a personal, intimate thing. And I can't tell you what that is. I know he's calling us as a body, and has been for a long time, to be a place of healing. To be a place where miracles break forward. To be a place that pursues him passionately for his presence. There's a place that is a lighthouse and a beacon in our region. There's a place that's willing to go at risk with him to bring healing to hurting. We're a hospital. But if he's calling us into a new season, there's probably some new Methods, new treatments, new wounds that he wants to give us the capacity to heal right now. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a 1950s MASH unit in 2021. I'd rather have what's available to me now in this season. If we're willing to go at risk with him, then we've got to be willing to step out of the boat. We've got to be willing to recognize that we might slide under the water a few times. If you remember last week, we have to be willing to maybe build that wall four times before we learn how to read the blueprints, before we learn how to slow down and listen to the master. As we learn how to look back to our cornerstone for his agenda, for our alignment with him, for his purpose, for his weight to carry the weight of the full structure and us to just do our part with what he has for us, which I promise you is above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. 
as we follow him. What is it? What is that impossible thing that he's calling you into? You might not know yet. What is it? What is it he has for your life? What impossible thing? Seems like it could never happen right now. It's not even a dream that you're willing to dream yet. But he's calling you to it. He's beckoning you to it. It's only possible because of Christ. You can't get there on your own. It's only him. But if you trust him, he'll empower you to do it. He'll equip you for the task. In your weakness, you will find his strength. This is a word I believe applies to all of us right now. Every last one of us. What cultural barriers do we have that are impeding us from what God has for us in the next season? All of us need to ask that question. What cultural barriers am I carrying from the natural that are keeping me from kingdom culture? Because they hinder us. They hold us back. We want biblical understandings. We want kingdom culture to rule in our hearts. As Jesus takes us into places that offend us because his ways are greater, his ways are higher, and he wants us to walk up there with him. Will you stand? I forgot to do communion last week. In case you're wondering, it was not by design that I didn't do communion. It was by absence of mind. Do we have anything? If you're here in person right now, just take the next minute to try to open this thing. Dolt-proof packaging. Sorry, kids. When Peter went at risk with the Lord to go out on the water with him, Jesus had not yet died. He had not yet been resurrected. Yet for many of us, we look at this experience that he had with the Lord as a high watermark, pun intended, of experience that can take place in relationship with God. But Peter was living in a time that was under the Old Covenant. 
Peter did not yet have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, he was operating under the authority of, of Christ and the anointing of Christ, but he was in a space in a time that didn't have the present reality that you live in right now. He didn't have the Holy Spirit available to him like you do. And remember, we might think, well, but he had Jesus with him, and he was right there with him. And he could talk to him, and he could ask him questions, and he was there in the flesh with him. I seem to recall Jesus said, it's going to be better for me to go. You all live in the result of the, it's better for me to go. So what you have is better by Jesus' own testimony. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. If you've chosen to follow Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit not only inside you, but he is empowering you for ministry doing the impossible through you if you'll follow him into it, if you'll allow him. There was a before and there was an after, and we live in the after. And what you're holding in your hands right now is a testimony, a remembrance. It's, it is a, a memory stone of what the living stone did for us. He went to the cross for us. The wafer, cracker, bread, whatever you have at home that you're chewing on here in a minute. It represents the reality that his body was broken for you. How many ever have had a really bad cut? How many of you ever been severely beaten? You don't actually have to raise your hands for that. How many of you have had your flesh ripped open or a crown of thorns beat against your skull? How many of you had that done for you or to you and you didn't deserve it? Think about the worst pain you've ever endured in your life. Doesn't come close. Doesn't come close. Because he not only had that pain in his flesh, he bore the weight of the sins of the world for all time. This wasn't just a physical pain. There's a spiritual pain to that. Not only that, when he cried out to his father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time ever, his father wasn't looking at him. Because he became sin for us. He allowed his body to be broken. And he allowed his blood to be poured out for us. This, this is a new covenant. By the blood of the pure and spotless lamb. Who was slain before the foundations of the world. For you. For you. For you. For you. For all time. And the blood of Jesus is enough. It is the only thing that is enough. 
You can't earn salvation. You can't earn freedom. You can't work yourself by all the good deeds that you think you can do into heaven. There's only one way. Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. It is by your body and your blood that you have called us. That you have made a way into an eternal reality that we get to walk in now. Lord, I thank you that you call us into impossible things. I thank you that you do impossible things. Impossible things are your nature. And Lord, now you reside in our hearts. You reside in us. We are in your body. We are your body. It's your blood that has washed us clean. It's your blood that's flowing in our veins, Lord. We are yours. Lord, in this season right now, we remember that we can only entertain the thoughts of what you have for us in this next season because you have made a way for us, Lord. And this testimony right here, Lord, as we come once again and remember it, we lift you high, Jesus, and we say, as we consume this, we remember, Lord, we are yours. This represents your body, Lord, and we are your body. Lord, we thank you that we get to live a heavenly reality right now here in time and space. What do you have for us in this season, Lord? What would you have us do? Here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us, Lord. Lord, we want to meet you on the water. We want to run to you and embrace you on the water. Lord, let us leave behind every vestige of things that aren't meant for this season any longer, Lord. Let us leave it behind, Lord. Let us abandon it, Lord Jesus. And let us have joy in the abandonment, Lord, in knowing that we have entered into a whole new reality with you. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take and eat and drink in the name of Jesus. This upcoming Wednesday is our second to the last pursuit night that we're having in this this month that we're diving into into with the Lord. I don't want us to come to the end of this month and then just step back in the boat. I say this is a time we're pressing into him. We shouldn't press into him and then let off at the other side of this. This is a specific time for us. This is a a stepping up into a, a new level for us. I want to invite you again out to these pursuit, this pursuit night with us on Wednesday, 6 o'clock, right here. We do some business with the Lord in his presence here. This last Sunday, there's probably, I think, four of us up here on our faces before the Lord at his altar. And his presence was just so weighty. It didn't feel right to stand in his presence at this moment. Each time we're coming into him, this time with him, it's getting thicker and thicker and thicker. As we as a people keep journeying into this time with him, 
Spend that time in prayer with him. Spend that time in fasting with him. Spend that time in worship with him. Come together corporately. Come together individually. Press in with him. He's doing something here, folks. He's working in our hearts right now. This gathering together is important. There's something important that happens when the people of God come together for the express purpose of glorifying him. I invite you into it once again. Next Sunday, Father's Day at our Father's house. You got baby bottles? Bring them back. Full of money. We can bless that ministry we've been pouring into for so long that rescues children, rescues families from darkness. God's on the move. He's on the move. If you are at a moment right now, I've been speaking today about stepping out of the boat and into the new season with the Lord. Maybe he's been challenging you on something that you've not spoken yet to anybody else about. Maybe you're wrestling with something where you feel like God's, God's requiring something of you in this season that's above what you've experienced before. And like Peter, you're saying, Lord, if it's you, just call me out and I'll come to you. But you're in that place of questioning, is this God or is this not? I'd invite you up here to the altar right now because I'm going to pray for you. There's a prophetic action when you take a step towards the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go to that next step with you. I'm ready to go to that next phase with you. I'm ready to press into the next, that next level, Lord. I invite you up to the front. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we can deal with that here today. And there's probably people watching online right now that don't yet know the Lord. Or maybe, like I was in a season of my life, having drifted away from the Lord, recognizing that I needed to recommit to him. There's something valuable in that. It was a turning point in my life. It's that stepping out of the boat and saying, I trust you, Lord. So I'm going to pray first for salvation. And I'm going to pray for all who've come forward here. And whoever's online and can't, can't see you right now, but maybe you're standing up there and saying, Lord, this is, this is me. I'm ready. I pray there too. Father, I pray for those who don't yet know you and don't yet know your son, Jesus. If you want to give your heart to Jesus right now and step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, what you do is you give your heart to him right now. You recognize that he paid the price for your sins, like we spoke about a moment ago. That through resurrection, he demonstrated his victory over death, hell, and the grave. And that he is the only way to the Father. He wants to come into your heart. He wants to rule you. Rule over your life as you become part of his body and follow him. Jesus is either king of our hearts or he's not. 
But if you want to follow him today, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. And there's only one way to salvation, and it's you. Lord, I know that you died for my sins. You rose on the third day. And you paid the price for my sins. I choose today, Jesus, for you to become the king of my life. I choose to step out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. From out from under the rule of Satan and into the rule of you. Lord, take my life, all of me, and use it for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for anybody who's prayed that prayer right now, Lord, for the first time. For anybody who's given their heart to you, Lord Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would make yourself manifest to them in in new and real ways, Lord Jesus, that we would see transformation in their life, Lord Jesus, that sins that may have been besetting them before, Lord, would fall away right now, Lord Jesus, that as they go through their lives, Lord, things that were, were appealing to them, Lord, that were not of you would become unappealing, Lord. They would bring about a distaste in their mouth, Lord Jesus, that you, Holy Spirit, would lead them and guide them, Lord. Lord, that they would find believers, Lord, who could who could lead them and guide them and open your word to them, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask for relationships to come around them, Lord, as you just pour life into them right now, Lord. That they would look back and say, that was the moment. That was the time. There was the before then, and now there's my life afterwards because my life is hidden in him. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for all today who have heard your word today and say, Lord, I'm ready. I just want to step out of the boat with you. I don't know what you have for me, Lord, but I know that it's in you. Lord, I pray for them right now that you would release your grace for this season that you have for them, Lord Jesus, that you would equip them, that you would set things on fire in them, Lord Jesus, that they would carry a new a new amount of your glory, Lord Jesus, that they would see you manifesting yourself through them in a whole new way, Lord, that their, their expectancy, Lord, for what you would do through them would just be completely elevated, Lord, and their thoughts that would hinder them, Lord Jesus, whether cultural, Lord, or through their own logic and their own assumptions, or from those that are around them, Lord Jesus, would be diminished, Lord, as they stand in your glory and say, you, Jesus, whatever it is that you want, Lord. My life is yours. My life is forfeit, Lord. And even if you slay me, Lord, I will praise you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who in this season are saying, Lord, we want more of you at all costs. My eyes are set on you, Jesus. I want more of you at all costs, Lord. Lord, I ask that you'd raise them up right now. I ask that you'd strengthen them right now, Lord. Lord, I ask for a new impartation of your Holy Spirit to come forth on them, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name, Jesus, in this hour. Hallelujah. Have your way in us. Have your way in this church, Lord. Have your way in our community. Have your way in this epoch in time, Lord Jesus. Lord, we bless your church, Lord. 
not just here at our Father's house. Lord, we bless your church global. We bless your church, Lord. Lord, call us to you. Straighten us up, Lord. If we need it, straighten us up. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are more than capable of realigning us and refocusing us on Jesus. We ask for your hand. We ask for you, teacher. We ask for you, comforter. We ask for you, friend. We ask for you, paraclete. Come. Visit us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless somebody on the way out of here. Hug a neck if they'll let you. God's doing something here. Come back on Wednesday and we'll see you next week. God bless you.